Tell me the story. <laughs> so, we were at Fascinations yesterday because, you know. Don't tell me the story. <laughs> I retract everything. We're getting to the episode now. <laughs> guy that's joel guy and he's a prude <laughs> this you is... can tell that i'm joel because i'm the quiet one it's not because our voices sound different it's because i don't scream at the microphone <laughs> uh naomi welcome back to an episode that i'm sure will be incredibly fun and not traumatizing or awkward for anyone um before we get started with a topic that is kind of heavy <laughs> That uh, is not the happiest of things to talk about. Um, I did want to discuss some 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 happier things that are going on in our lives. Before that, why don't we try a new drink? Okay, one that'll actually taste good. Dublin Tart and Sweet Brand Lemonade Craft Soda, always made with pure crane, cane sugar. Pure crane why is sugar. It, is it like potato soda? What it's, it's Dublin. I don't know whiskey. No. It might be from Dublin, California. It's from Dublin, Texas. That's Dublin, why. Texas. That's silly. That's pretty good. Yeah. It it's, just tastes like when you mix 7-Up and lemonade. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Naomi, what media have you been consuming to make your life full of joy and distract from the horrors of the world? Um, I haven't been really consuming any media per se. I would say that I've had a lot of good conversations about food recently, and I want to yes. talk about some good recipes that I've been making. Um, so this week I made caramelized pork tacos with pineapple on them. Ooh. So it's caramelized pork and it had like a nice like soy sauce, uh, sesame oil, brown sugar, like glaze to it. Mm-hmm. Would you call that a glaze? Sure. Yeah. And then uh, you you simmer that with your pork and some onions and then you add fresh pineapple onto it. It was supposed to be served over rice, but I honestly didn't mind it on on a taco. I should have listened to Len's advice, though, and put a little bit of purple cabbage on it because mm. that would have added a nice crunch, crunch. to it. Um, another thing that I did this week was I went back to a recipe that I tried last year, which was crushed up chickpeas with a little bit of ranch and some um, hot wing sauce. Mm-hmm. And then I put that on a wrap with some lettuce and cucumber. And it's actually really good. I brought that to work this week. And if my ranch hadn't gone bad, I wouldn't have gotten a tummy ache. (laughs) Nice. I made a couple new dishes with a cookbook I got for Christmas. I did a cauliflower cheese pie with some curried cauliflower. I had that. That was pretty good. It was good flavor-wise, but the cheese sauce was way too loose. I'd like to do it more solid, like a quiche or something. I ate it when it was cold, Mm -hmm. so maybe that's why it wasn't that way for me. That's fair. I made some cucumber chutney sandwiches, made a nice spicy chutney and put it on some uh, bread, a little bit of cream cheese, a little bit of goat cheese, and then some so it's cucumbers like and chutney. a leveled up cucumber sandwich. Yeah, it was like a little finger sandwich with some oh, intense cute. flavors. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Peanut gochujang broccoli. Mm-hmm. So roasted broccoli with a nice like spicy peanut sauce on top. Yeah. Uh, some crispy chickpeas with a barbecue gochujang sauce. Oh, really? It's kind of like a Korean barbecue uh, bar dish, but like vegan friendly mm-hmm. and then uh, sweet potato shakshuka which is like 
shakshuka, you know, a spiced tomato dish, mm-hmm. but with sweet potatoes and more African spices. Mm-hmm. It was uh, very tasty. And I okay. got a bunch more that I'm planning, but my fridge is currently full, so it'll, it'll be a bit before I have room for that. Awesome. Naomi, do you know what's been going on with trans and queer people in the United States recently? Yes. Um, no one wants to admit that they exist, so they're trying to erase them from curriculum. They um, passed a bunch of don't say gay laws in different, or they're trying to pass different don't say gay laws in different states. They did pass one in Florida. I don't know. By the time this episode's released, I don't know what the status will yeah. be. And then... Just people hate criming, like always, and they're trying. I know in Arizona specifically, because it, like, deal, like, I'm directly on the front lines of that because I'm in Arizona, um, they are trying to ban um, drag in Arizona. Yes, a lot of gender non-conforming clothing is being banned. So I wanted to talk about trans and queer people in this episode because we've done it before. And I think it's really important to highlight travesties of justice and craziness going on in the world. Uh, We are a dating podcast, but we also discuss gender issues and trans people are just as valuable as everyone else. They're a constantly persecuted minority group. Demands on their identity and behavior in public keep escalating, and they're kind of a litmus test for how everyone else gets treated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Given that trans people constitute a small but growing segment of the population, it's probably important to recognize that anything that's used against them and any attempts to, you know, change their behavior or identity will probably be used against gay people, and then asexual people, and then interracial couples, and then single mothers, etc., uh, basically, uh, trans people are kind of the the first step in a long domino chain of undesirable groups that cultural conservatives want to get rid of. And so I think it's important to highlight uh, things that are going on around the United States and arguably the world, but this is mostly a U.S.-centered episode. I got a TikTok that was sent to me this week on Instagram, and it was this guy, and he was like, I don't like trans people. I don't like trans women because they're women. I just hate women. Um. No, I don't hate trans women because they're trans. I hate trans women because they're women. That's going to get snipped out of context. Yep. Uh, boy, there's a lot of things we say in this that will be used against us in our future medical, p- political, professional careers. So I think there's two caveats before we discuss this, two important sort of like framing devices to keep in mind. The first is, as we've discussed many times on this podcast before, uh, conservatives really don't have any plans to improve the economy or the living conditions of people. Um, they're currently, you know, in power in the United States house and they have no promises for like minimum wage increases or tax credits for the poor or improved social services. Instead, they're actively supporting defunding the government, imposing a 30% flat tax on people, which end up being more expensive for poor people in the long term, and taking money away from social security. The only issues that they can really like rile up people with in order to win votes are social ones. So they find it's really easy to manufacture issues and um, tie issues into people's racist, xenophobic, intolerant beliefs. So, like, um, this is not an endorsement of Democrats. We've said this before. Like, Democrats are really (laughs) doing a really bad job of fighting against this. That's not to say state governments might not be slightly different, but at a national level, they're kind of shitting the bed on it. Um, Democrats had power for two years at the beginning of Biden's term and didn't do any of those things, like raising the minimum wage and allowed things like a child tax credit to expire. It's also important to understand that this ties into conservatives' understanding of the world in terms of things like gender binaries and a certain sense of divine order. If men can become women, maybe things are more fluid and less objective than they think. Maybe women can aspire to things outside of the home. Maybe they, too, have rich inner lives the same as, you know, white conservative men. 
Uh, maybe the person that they're attracted to that they saw on the street has chromosomes that are the same as them, which calls into question their personal views on homosexuality. It's much neater to just say trans people don't exist, are confused, slash are perverts, and that they shouldn't be accepted than to accept all of that and disrupt their personal worldviews. It's the same reason that gay people were so difficult to accept or that integrating African Americans into schools was difficult to accept or allowing women to vote was difficult to accept or any of the other earth-shattering events that happened and didn't destroy Western civilization. Does that all seem fair? Yep. Okay, the second thing is an international organization that tracks genocide seems to think that the actions of conservatives in the United States is explicitly genocidal, which certainly seems like a wake-up call. So when external entities in the United States are calling out the U.S.'s behavior and saying, hey, uh, we've tracked genocides throughout history and this seems pretty genocidal, maybe we should pay attention to that. So the Lemkin Institute for Genocide Prevention released a statement on November 29th of 2022, and they provide a really good coverage of this issue. So Lemkin Institute voices its concern over the growing number of laws introduced in the United States that target transgender individuals in the transgender community. Anti-trans hostility in the United States has become a staple of the Republican Party's election strategy is clearly being used to stoke voters' fear of a changing world by raising the specter of a malevolent polluting force tied to liberalism, cosmopolitanism, and democracy. The Lemkin Institute believes that the so-called gender critical movement that is behind these laws is a fascist movement furthering a specifically genocidal ideology that seeks the complete eradication of trans identity from the world. Really mincing words. Genocidal ideologies are ideologies that deny or seek to erase the existence of a specific group because of the supposed threat it poses to the holders of the ideology. The gender-critical movement simultaneously denies that transgender identity is real and seeks to eradicate it completely from society. Many gender-critical ideologues identify themselves as feminists and believe themselves to be protecting women from men. The ideological constructions of transgender women promoted by gender-critical ideologies are particularly genocidal. They share many features in common with other better-known genocidal ideologies. Transgender women are represented as stealth border crossers who seek to defile the purity of cisgender women, much like Tutsi women were viewed in Hutu power ideology during the Rwandan genocide and Jewish men in Nazi anti-Semitism. Trans people in general are framed as figures that threaten the wholeness of the patriarchal nuclear family as well as the strength and vitality of national communities, much in the way that ethnic and national targets of genocide are viewed as cosmic entities of the perpetrator group. Unlike the religious targets of genocidal violence, sorry, I lost my place, of genocidal violence, trans people are often described as somehow polluted, sinful, or against God. They are blamed for a host of social problems that have nothing to do with them or the free expression of their identities. The Limkin Institute reminds readers um, that one of the first libraries to be burned under the National Socialists in Germany was the Library and Archive of Magnus Hirschfeld's Institute for Sexual Science in Berlin, a groundbreaking research organization studying human sexuality and gender. The Nazis, like other genocidal groups, believed that national strength and existential power could only be achieved through an imposition of a strict gender binary within the racially pure national community. A fundamentalist gender binary was a key feature of Nazi racial politics and genocide. Uh, keep in mind, they don't mention this, but that thing gets turned into all German women need to become kind of breeders for the state. Like the highest ideal for German women is to have as many babies as possible mm -hmm. so they can become soldiers and like perpetuate the ideals of Aryanism. Mm -hmm. um, so not only do you start with trans people and then try to eliminate trans people, you then go and say cisgender women have to conform to specific gender identities. So um, everyone suffers in the long term. 
Ah, the fundamentalist interpretation of gender and the obsession with the gender binary hurts all people who do not conform to traditional gender stereotypes, not just transgender people, by imposing strict norms on human expression and experience the use of shame and stigma. Scientific research has shown, in contrast, that supportive parents, schools, and outcomes, as well as gender-affirming healthcare, lead to improved mental health and life outcomes for trans people, and therefore also for all the people who love and cherish them. All attempts to further marginalize and indeed to criminalize transgender identities contributes directly to the highest level of societal violence that already exists against transgender people, as well as the high levels of mental and physical health challenges that exist within the transgender community, including suicide. The Lemkin Institute also points out that the gender-critical movement is not about protecting women. It is about exacting control over the bodies of marginalized people and thrusting them outside of the community of moral obligation if they fail to conform to the norms of the gender that's been signed to them by others. In other words, the gender-critical movement seeks to control the deepest aspects of human experience and self-knowledge through genocidal aggressions against the historically marginalized and silenced community that has just begun to flourish and gain acceptance. The gender-critical movement is a totalitarian and genocidal social force that targets not just transgender people, but also all the institutions of democracy that protect individual and collective human rights. So their point here is important because what they're saying is at the point where you begin to deny people rights and say that they do not have the ability to like self-determine, you're also fighting some of the core values of democracy that have like defined Western experience for the last 200 years. Democracy saying, doesn't exist. I'm not saying all of those like things have not been practiced in different degrees across the United States and Western countries. Um, it's just that those are things we pretended we cared about for a while. And it's funny now that we're fighting back against those. While members of the gender-critical movement may argue that they do not seek to kill the physical bodies of transgender people, they do openly seek to eradicate transgender identity from the world following a genocidal logic similar to the U.S., Canadian, and Australian boarding schools that sought to kill the Indian and save the man. Once it becomes acceptable for one group of people to be criminalized for expressing their identity, then society becomes vulnerable to the genocidal targeting of other groups as well. In fact, all anti-trans initiatives are closely tied to assaults on the rights of women, people of color, minority religious communities, and immigrants in the United States and elsewhere. The criminalization and harassment of the trans community can serve as a rehearsal for the more generalized targeting of unwanted groups within a genocidal ideological structure. There is no shutting the floodgates once states and societies acquiesce to the eradication of a specific people from the earth. Powerful, powerful stuff. What do you think about all of that? I liked the the fact that they're like I liked the last sentence where they were like, there is no shutting the floodgates once states and societies decide that they're going to like start eradicating a person mm -hmm. from society. And I think that that's really powerful because as soon as you saw, like you can see this in the, the anti-row movement, like as soon yeah. as Greg Abbott was like, Oh, I'm going to like cut down on the number of weeks before that a woman can get treated for an abortion. Um, all these other States started popping up with the same mm -hmm. sort of thing. And you mentioned this in a past episode. I think it was a, I think it was an abortion episode where you said that like they just pass these bills around and just reword them and like slightly and then try to pass them in specific, in different states. So if one state writes it, they'll change the wordage and then just pass it around state to state. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm spacing on the name of that Republican group. I think it's Alec. Um, yeah. The American Legislative Exchange Council. So it's a group, and I think the Democrats are something similar, but not to this degree. But basically, it writes sort of draft legislation that's already like pre-written and can be submitted to the state legislature. It might have some slight tweaks before it gets submitted, mm -hmm. but nearly identical bills are going around and shared. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, say, if a multi-billion dollar super PAC has a specific 
idea in mind. Like we want, you know, businesses to not have to conform to, you know, environmental regulations Mm -hmm. or we think black people shouldn't be taught about in schools, Mm -hmm. right? They can write a bill and then pass it to 50 state legislatures and immediately have action on it, which means that any of these like issues that might normally be a minor like local thing suddenly blow up and become a national issue, Mm -hmm. even though like actually it isn't a problem. It's just being artificially manufactured to get more voters on your side. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like the fact that they point out that a lot of people who identify as feminists are supporting these. You have people like, oh, I don't know, J.K. Rowling, who we've discussed on this podcast before, who is financing a homeless shelter for, I think, single mothers. And she's like, only six gender women will be allowed into this homeless shelter. And on one hand, it's like, great, you're giving money towards supporting single women. On the other hand, how are you going to police who comes into your shelter? Yeah. How do you plan to like separate trans and cis people? If a woman with a big jawline comes in, are they going to be expected to strip down? Yeah. Are you going to traumatize people further? Um, Also this idea that like feminists are somehow going to escape once like transgender people are eradicated is really mystifying. It's like women should act in a specific way and trans people should not be tolerated. Okay. Do you think women will still be allowed in business and outside the home once transgender people are eradicated? This is very much like uh, what's that dystopian novel handmaid's tale. Yes. It's like, well, we got rid of the transgender people now get back in the kitchen. Okay. So fun fact about handmaid's tale. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a manufacturer of prep, um, like the prescription, um, called Gilead, mm-hmm. and Gilead is like the the new government that's oh, yeah, formed. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was really funny. I, I don't understand. So it's like for gay men. Okay, prep can be taken by anyone. That's fair. That's Do fair. not be. No, I'm just wondering. Is it is it called that? Because it's like. If gay people exist, it's less likely you can impose heterosexual norms. I have no idea. I'm assuming that it was there before Gilead okay. was named Gilead before <laughs> Handmaid's Tale came out because it's a big drug manufacturer. Yeah. So what has been going on with trans people recently? Um, I think it's important to provide some context outside of like just sort of vague accusations. Um, no, accuse them vaguely. <laughs> so the ACLU tracks uh, legislation affecting LGBTQ rights across the country. Um, unfortunately, they don't provide you a way of easily exporting the data, so I had to manually count. I believe there were 211 bills in 2022 across the country, legislation affecting all sorts of rights. Uh, these measures target transgender excuse me, and non-binary people for discrimination, such as by barring or criminalizing health care for trans youth, barring access to the use of appropriate facilities like restrooms, restricting trans students' ability to fully participate in school and sports, allowing religiously motivated discrimination against trans people, or making it more difficult for them to get identification documents with their name and gender. How f- many of these 211 bills passed, do you know? So that is something that's discussed in different groups. Some people are like, well, it's not that big of an issue because only about 10 to 15% total of these bills pass. That's a large percent. That's a pretty large percentage of like the total amount of legislation passed. Um, I would also say it's concerning because it sort of changes the climate and like what's being discussed in culture where it's like more acceptable. It's like, well, this state can do it now because like Virginia did it. Of course it's fine. You know, we all respect Virginia or, you know, we should do this because Texas is doing it and Texas is good for business or whatever. Yeah. And so I think it provides an opportunity for people to get inspiration about how to make their bills less abhorrent and more likely to pass. 
um, and come up with new ideas about how to antagonize queer people. Mm -hmm. So just because they pass or don't pass is less important, I think, than the fact that all of these are coming out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of people have also been tracking the number total for many years, and that's been rising steadily over time since 2016. Um, someone who I follow on Twitter, who's a trans activist who goes by Esqueer on Twitter, E-S-Q-U-E-E-R. Um, sorry, their name is Alejandra Carabala, says that we're barely halfway through January and more anti-trans laws been proposed than in all of 2022. This was on January 19th of this year. We're tracking at least 158 bills introduced so far. That's trans bills, not queer people in general. This is more than 2018 to 2020 combined, and this is what a movement to eradicate trans people from public life looks like. So in 2018, they tracked 19 bills, 2019, 25 bills, 2020, 60 bills, 2021, 131 bills, and 2022, 155 bills. So from 19 bills in 2018 to 155 in 2022. And already in 2023, we've seen 158. Mm -hmm. Except we haven't seen 158 already in 2023 uh, because she updated that post eight days later on January 27th saying that there are now 242 anti-LGBTQ introduced bills with at least 238 of them being anti-trans bills. This is more this year than in all of 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 combined. This is a war on trans existence. So, yeah, there's been a pretty rapid escalation in the last six months or so. Uh, This is becoming a very, very big issue for conservatives, which is also interesting because conservatives made all these arguments prior to the midterms and did not do nearly as well as they thought they would because young people turned out because they didn't like these bills. That's one theory, at least. I was actually really proud because when I went by the polling places at ASU on like uh, during the midterm elections... Oh, they were packed. They were packed. But keep in mind, now you're seeing all this like rhetoric where it's like, well, actually, your brain isn't finished developing until 21 or 25. Maybe we should ban 18-year-olds from voting. Maybe we should ban 18-year-olds from joining the freaking military then. Oh, that's so interesting. We might get to that in this or the second part of the episode. So the question then is, what do these bans entail? Because I gave kind of a generic like description of some of the stuff they discuss. But the way they manifest is really weird. So in October of 2022, Ann Bregnan and Ann Kirkpatrick for the Washington Post wrote an article talking about anti-trans laws that were on the rise. They say more legislation has been filed to restrict the lives of trans people so far in 2022 than at any point in the nation's history, with trans youth being the most frequent target of lawmakers. Notice that. Trans youth, people under 18, because that's been the focus for a while, and the focus now seems to be changing to adults as well. There were bills aimed at preventing trans girls and women from playing on female sports teams, laws barring trans youth from using bathrooms and locker rooms align with their gender identity, and restrictions on gender-affirming medical care. Several governors also have put through their own forms of restrictions. Earlier this year, Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued a directive requiring child welfare agents to investigate gender-affirming medical procedures as child abuse, an order that could strip trans children away from their families. Advocates and families are challenging the directive in court, and a federal judge partially blocked it. In September, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin unveiled new guidelines to make it more difficult for trans youth to change their names and pronouns at school that would prevent them from using school facilities and participating in youth programs that align with their gender identity. I don't know how to describe it to someone that isn't going through it, how it feels to have your anxiety of waking up every morning, not knowing whether your city is going to attack your right to exist, says Alyssa McKenzie, an Orlando-based trans advocate, to do all those things that so many people never have had to question or think about. 
The onslaught of legislation has been driven by conservative legislators who argue that these restrictive laws protect the rights of children and families rather than curtail them. Others have framed them as a religious prerogative. Like, they're literally saying the quiet part out loud. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey, upon signing a gender-affirming care ban on the state earlier this year, said, We're going to go by how God made us. If the good Lord made you a boy, you're a boy, and if he made you a girl, you're a girl. It's simple. Some also have political motives. Dave Carney, a senior advisor for Abbott's re-election campaign in Texas, called restrictions of trans youth a 75-80% winner for the Texas governor. Some legislators are also reacting to the U.S. Supreme Court's 2020 landmark decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, which found that federal law barring employment discrimination on the basis of sex also applies to sexuality and gender identity. Conservative lawmakers immediately began looking for ways to undermine the court's ruling, said Brand Stetter, citing Senator Josh Hawley, who said it represents the end of a conservative legal movement. These efforts have also, surprise, surprise, been intertwined with the movement to restrict reproductive rights, Naomi, which share many of the same players, such as the Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative Christian legal advocacy group at the forefront of finding abortion rights. An Idaho legislator credited the group with helping write a bill to prevent trans girls from playing on girls' sports teams. In 2021, it was the first such bill passed in the country. So how does this manifest? Well, in really weird, vague ways. Texas, for instance, proposed an anti-drag ban that was incredibly vague and would have manifested some very weird situations if passed. So this comes from at Aaron in the Morn um, and uh, at Bryn Tannehill, both activists on Twitter. So Bryn posted in November, a lot of people have posted examples of the absurdities inherent in Texas's proposed anti-drag law, and I'll play along with some of the funniest examples. But please read to the end because therein lies something that should make you recoil in horror. So, here are some examples of things that would be banned by a drag ban, such as those proposed in Texas. One, a transgender soldier from Fort Bliss singing the national anthem before a basketball game at the University of Texas, El Paso. Two, a bring-your-own-beer performance of Twelfth Night at Shakespeare in the Park Festival. Three, a screening of the 1959 movie Some Like It Hot, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. Four, a transgender person singing karaoke after work with friends. Five, a performance by the Dallas Symphony Orchestra Beethoven's Ninth Symphony where drinks are served at intermission and the third cellist happens to be transgender. Six, any performance by the band Against Me with the lead singers Laura Jane Grace or gender nonconforming artist Harry Styles in the state of Texas at a venue where alcohol is allowed. A local community theater performance of the 1938 play Our Town where one of the extras in the graveyard scene is transgender. The common denominator is a ban on transgender people doing anything publicly that might fit under the broad and deliberately vague umbrella of performance. Basically, they say that if you're doing a quote-unquote performance at a quote-unquote entertainment venue that serves alcohol, that would be out loud. Yeah. But it's also very broad and vague, requiring only that two people can watch the performance and that alcohol is loud, not just sold. Their definition of drag is so broad and vague, it includes all trans people. It's all broad enough that you could charge a trans person for playing solitaire on a park bench and letting two people watch, and one is holding a beer. This is a feature, not a bug. It is meant to encourage places like the karaoke bar to refuse to serve trans people or to let them sing. It encourages the Dallas Symphony Orchestra to get rid of all the trans cellists in fear of the law. It's meant to nudge the director of community theater to make damn sure they don't cast any trans people. At the same time, it's meant to make trans people afraid of public participation in anything that could be construed as a performance. It's meant to ban the depiction of trans people as well. The goal is to make trans people disappear and to encourage them to leave and we've seen this tactic before. You know well exactly where if you've been paying attention. So she cites an article from uh, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum talking about the Nazi government in 1934 forbidding Jewish actors to perform on stage or on screen. Mind you of anything? 
Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, activist Aaron in the Morn also talks about the uh, bill that Texas passed around the same time, which was HB 672. It would make consenting to gender-affirming care child abuse with prison sentences for parents. We've mentioned this on the podcast before, um, but actually gender-affirming care is a thing that is consistently found in medical research to reduce the risk of trans teen suicide. So it is something that like objectively makes their quality of life better, and the number of people who claim that they, they they feel bad after receiving gender affirming care is something like one or two percent. But the vast majority disputed. the vast majority of gender affirming care in most states is like counseling services. That's the thing. As well yeah, yeah like gender affirming care. Stuff. Exactly. That's a really good point. Exactly. So like gender affirming care may or may not include like surgeries. Yeah. And and most people just assume when they say consenting to gender affirming care that it's just like automatically they just get popped in there and mm-hmm. Somebody gets boobs or somebody gets, like, their genitals cut off or something. My understanding is the majority of medical-related gender-affirming care is giving hormone blockers. So somebody who is not 18 can delay puberty so they don't have to, like, deal with the ramifications of having grown into a body they don't want. So uh, Erin calls it the most horrifying piece of anti-trans legislation she has ever seen. And she, you know, gives the actual text. She says the bill also makes an exception for intersex kids where they will allow parents to have a non-consensual surgery to pick a gender for an intersex infant, a practice decried by most intersex activists. Um, She then also uses the phrase genocide, which um, a lot of activists have been using recently, not just the Limkin Institute. Um, She says it fulfills the UN Charter on genocide because it A, involves killing members of the group by denying them medical services, and B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group as well. So, good, good stuff. A lot of activists who've been fighting for a while, she mentions, have been fleeing the state. So, Cree Shapley, who has been a child activist against these bills, fled with her family earlier this year. So, again, that's a intentional side effect of um, these bills. They don't just want trans people to not exist in public. They want trans people to leave the state rather than having to deal with all the bullshit. Right? Yeah. Um, they don't even have to necessarily outlaw the existence of trans people. They just have to make their lives so miserable that they do everything they can to flee. How are you feeling so far? Like, I want to... Never mind, I can't say that. It's also important to note that there's been escalating rhetoric and protests around, like, the existence of trans and queer people. So there's a really cool blog that's called Counting Crowds, um, and what it does is it tries to, like, track people's participation in, like, big protest events. And they had an article on September 30th of last year talking about escalating right-wing attacks on the LGBTQ community. So Jay Oldsfield posted this on September 30th. He said, anti-LGBTQ actions represent a still modest but growing fraction of all right-wing protests and demonstrations in the United States. In the counting crowds data, the monthly share of right-wing events with anti-LGBTQ claims stayed at or close to zero from the start of collection in 2017 until mid-2022. However, by September, it had increased to about 16%. So staying constant for a while and then jumping dramatically in Mm -hmm. 2022. Drag shows and drag queen story hours have been a common target of the current hate wave. So far in 2022, Counting Crowds has logged more than 40 actions targeting these events, including at least 15 so far in September. Firearms have also become far more common in anti-LGBTQ demonstrations. Armed protests with the theme are still the exception rather than the rule. They clearly have been more frequent this year than they were last year. Counting Crowds only started consistently tracking this and other tactical specifics in 2021. Um, I also found another source from uh, November 22nd of last year from at Mary Elimini O'Hara on Twitter. 
She notes that GLAAD has documented at least 124 incidents of anti-LGBTQ activists targeting drag events in 2022. Incidents took place in 47 states, with threats of violence ranging from open carry assault rifles to fire bombings. So, yeah, escalating um, protests, escalating potential violence, and then also the rhetoric surrounding uh, queer people is escalating as well. So there were events that happened in 2022. Uh, One example was the Club Q shooting. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. We have so many mass shootings in the United States, it'd be easy for you to have forgotten about that one. Very fair. For those who forget, uh, the Club Q shooting was a mass shooting at a gay club in Colorado Springs. Uh, The shooter was uh, tackled by a a drag, no, I think just a trans individual, and then beaten by a military veteran until the police arrived. And then the military veteran was put in the back of a police car, and the shooter was politely handcuffed and led away. um, Because that's how the police handle these situations. It's great. What's less important to me is... reflecting upon the mass shooting because Americans are really good at forgetting that mass shootings existed and more of looking at how people reacted rhetorically to it. So normally, Naomi, when mass shootings occur, people across this political spectrum say nice affirming things. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, the mental health crisis in this country is out of control. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting that, you know, people would do this to this community, even if we have our disagreements. Mm. This has been a very consistent thing, but November's Club Q shooting was a little bit different because you had right-wing activists such as Tim Pool saying things like, we shouldn't tolerate pedophiles grooming kids. Club Q had a grooming event. Stephen Crowder then responded to that, and said, we should have strong legislation to protect children and armed populace to protect themselves and their kin. There was not a, oh, it is very tragic that these things happened, but it was, they had it coming. Uh, Tucker Carlson said similar things. Tucker Carlson has been great about making specific references to trans people being a blight upon America, saying, you know, well, we shouldn't be surprised when people escalate. And then at one point, there was a new story where a uh, a trans man, sorry, a trans woman went to uh, the White House to meet with Biden, which of course had to get coverage. This was the biggest thing, you know, happening in America that week. And he said, well, well, here's a drag show. Welcome to the Weimar Republic. What happens next? which is a specific reference to the fact that the Nazis in the Weimar Republic persecuted queer and trans people as an escalation towards, you know, putting Jewish people in concentration camps. So Tucker Carlson knows what he's doing, but all these activists are escalating their rhetoric and saying, well, if you're grooming kids, if you're hosting drag events, if you're being trans, you deserve to be murdered. Now, what is grooming, Naomi? Usually when I hear grooming, I take it in like a sexual sense. I was thinking like, like horsies, you know, like, oh, okay. like, you know, getting them ready for the, the horsey show. I just have trauma. Okay. <laughs> just wanted to bring some levity in. Go ahead. I just think of like a, a person who isn't of a, a person over the age of 18, um, isn't, who isn't age appropriate for a person to be sexually involved with, with a person that's under the age of 18. Um, so is there an activity that takes place or something? Usually sexual or mm-hmm. coercive activity that will become sexual activity. Yeah. So Webster's defines grooming as the practice of preparing or training someone for a particular purpose or activity. Okay. Right-wing activists have introduced a new definition, and I'm pretty sure this was introduced. They're the last dictionaries year. now? 
They have dictionaries. Oh my now. god! Because it turns out if you redefine things, you can make anything sound bad. It's kind of like when we're reading those dating books and you aren't properly citing things, and mm-hmm. so you just yeah yeah yeah. So uh, someone named James Lindsay on November 21st of 2022 posted this on his page with some comments. Uh, It's an image I've seen on a number of right-wing conservative Twitter pages, and it says, Grooming, the deliberate act of bringing a child into a sexual, political, or racial ideology, practice, cult, or lifestyle without the knowledge or consent of his or her parents for the aim of isolating them from their family so the external party can abuse and manipulate them. All good definitions are 50 words long. I don't understand why, like, okay, so I understand the sexual, I understand the political. Um, Sure, let's just say I understand all the ways that somebody can be groomed. But sometimes you can get groomed by people that are your parents. Oh, that's an interesting point, Naomi. Or other people in your family. So a couple of comments on this post, and we'll keep that in mind. I think that's an interesting insight. This was posted on November 21st of 2022. Anything happened that week? November 19th was the Club Q shooting. Oh, very good, Naomi. Yeah, so this was a specific response, again, rhetorically saying these people deserved it because they were grooming children by having a drag show there. So this definition is interesting because it's very different than the Webster's definition. It includes references to political or racial lifestyle, which is... Very weird. I don't know what you would mean by racial lifestyle outside of this being like an anti-critical race theory thing. I wasn't going to think about it too hard, but now that you bring it up, I understand. Uh, It's an anti-CRT, anti-atheist, anti-queer definition. Yes. It also says abuse or manipulate. Manipulate is carrying a lot of water there because it's like simply telling kids that trans people exist arguably would be manipulating them if their parents had told them trans people didn't exist. People exist, so therefore they are manipulating me. Yeah, or like, if you're talking about racial lifestyle, which, again, is such a weird thing to bring in, unless you have an agenda specifically targeting CRT, um, you would say, well, if a parent tell the kid that slavery wasn't a big deal and that black people are whiners, if a teacher were to say, oh, slavery was actually a big deal, that would be manipulating and grooming the child under this definition. The second thing I want to talk about is, I guess in regards to that, Mr. Lindsay only focuses on queer individuals and drag shows compared to someone in his circles like Andrew Tate, a very influential internet influencer who literally groomed women into being cam girls and was arrested for sex trafficking. Oh, and has multiple pieces of evidence showing that he was grooming these young women and he's trying to convince his followers that he's completely innocent and he's in Romanian prison mm-hmm. for no reason and they have the wrong guy. I want to talk, I want to do an episode at some point about like right-wing media influencers because Andrew Tate like has such an amazing presence, but behind the bastards just did a four-part episode about Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. If our listeners are interested, that goes into excruciating detail about like his life. And uh, one of the things that Andrew Tate has has been recorded talking about is how he manipulates women into becoming first his girlfriend. And then once they're his girlfriend, telling them that if they truly love him, they'll do sex work for him on camera. And so he's like, yes, at times I've had 50 girlfriends who didn't know that the others existed, all like doing sex work for me on cameras, which some might call grooming. Um, The National uh, uh, Coalition Against Child Sex Trafficking would call that grooming. But um, Okay, let's just take out the the grooming part and the disgusting part about, like, the cams and stuff. How do you keep up 50 girlfriends without none of them out snowing? I know, right? (laughs) Anyways. Anyways. So 
it's fascinating to me that queer people are the only people who are called out for grooming. Um, you'd think that people who are concerned about this would, you know, call out people in their community if this was a concern of theirs. The second thing is that Club Q was indeed hosting a drag show the night of the attack. On their website, if you want to subscribe to one of their drag shows, they have a Q&A section. The question is, what is the age limit to attend a show? And it says there is no age limit. Any person under the age of 18 must be accompanied by an adult or guardian. Oh my God, Naomi, children could have been at this drag event. But you need to be there with your parents. So technically the parents would be the ones. No, because grooming under this definition is doing things the parents aren't aware of. So what was happening here was something that like objectively was not grooming per their incredibly fucked up definition of grooming. That said, most sexual abuse happens within the family. So the fact that they're creating this where it's like the parents are the only people who should be like teaching their kids things and then excluding the fact that like most child sexual abuse is perpetuated by people that like kids know. Um, The Young Women's Christian Association did a piece on child abuse and talked about how 93% of children who are victims of sexual abuse know their abuser. Less than 10% of sexually abused children are abused by a stranger. 50% of the abuse done to the youngest children is done by direct family members. So it's like, again, if you want to target this problem, which is definitely not made up and manufactured, why wouldn't you provide the context that is often done by parents? Just exclude that entire last part and you would have a definition you could work with. But no, the rhetoric that they're using is parents know best for their kids. Parents should have control of their kids. Parents should be able to make decisions for their kids, gender and sexual identities without the kids having any sort of say in it. I think it's also worth noting that sexual abuse rates of kids are at their lowest on record. What is high is neglect. So I've included a stat about U.S. maltreatment trends from 1990 to 2020. So the rate per 10,000 of the population less than 18 years old was very high in the 1990s. Something like 80 per 10,000 of children were um, experiencing neglect. Something like 70% were experiencing physical or sexual abuse. And since 1990, neglect has declined by 13%. It's still pretty high, which could be related to like economic factors. But physical abuse and sexual abuse have declined by 61 and 64%. So again, it feels very much like an issue is being manufactured at a point where abuse rates are as low as they are. Finally, and I don't know how much I want to dig into this, but I do feel this is worth discussing because like people are so averse to having discussions of sex in our culture. It continues to fascinate me that we consider exposing children to nudity or sexual themes so much worse than something like violence. Like all these people are like, well, drag shows have nudity and they're trying to like pervert kids and, you know, seduce children or whatever. But we live in this culture where like violence can be found anywhere on the internet or on TV or even on like podcasts. Do you know what else can be found anywhere on the internet? Nudity. And porn? Well, no. I mean, like, if a parent is trying to consume, their ch- is trying to control their child's media consumption, they're most likely going to limit content that involves sex and nudity. They're almost definitely not going to limit, to any significant degree, depictions of violence. So this was a point that SBA Australia, which is an Australian news network, made in July of 2017. It was discussing why violence is more accepted than sex and nudity in TV shows and movies. It was written by Jim Mitchell. Um, He notes that Game of Thrones creator George R.R. Martin has another hot take of considerable irony. People should be more concerned about the violence in the show and the books than sex and nudity. I'm always astonished that there's always so much controversy about the sex and the violence, he said in Edinburgh International Book Festival in 2014. I can write a scene and describe in detail a penis entering a vagina, and there'll be a portion 
portion of the audience who get very upset with me, but can write a scene about an axe entering a human skull, and no one will complain about that. Generally speaking, I'm much more in favor of penises entering <laughs> vaginas than of axes entering heads. People seem to accept the violence much easier than they accept the sex. And that's backed up by science. There was a 2015 survey of parents commissioned by the Australian Classification and Rating Administration finding the top concern about film content was graphic sex scenes, 80%, followed by full male nudity, 72%, hard drugs, 70%, full uh, female nudity, 70%, and graphic violence, 64%. Only 44% believe PG-rated, PG-13-rated movies have too much graphic violence. The point I'm trying to make is people are talking a lot about how, like, kids are exposed to sex and nudity, and... I can agree to a certain extent, but I also find it really weird that our culture is so accepting of, like, violence and depictions of, like, rage and anger rather than depictions of love and affection. And I'm not saying we necessarily need more of either of those things. I just feel we're being very selective about, like, what we consider good for our kids. No, I completely understand because, like, sex is natural and it happens and bodies, there's, there, there's bodies under our clothes, what? I don't know if you knew that. There's, yeah. a, there's a skeleton inside yeah. of me? Yeah. And the vast majority of people, because of the way that the media, like, I think it, it's, it could be media or it could be, and that it's, like, so taboo to even, mm-hmm. like, talk about it. It could be that or it could, it, it could be a variety of reasons, but violence is seen everywhere and everyone just takes it as, like, a given. But sex isn't everywhere because it's, it, it's sheltered more. I took this out. Let me see if I can find the article in question. But one of the questions I had when I was doing research for this is, why do people go to drag shows? I've never felt the desire to go to a drag show. I'm like, okay, it exists. I don't really care. Whatever. Yeah. And the right is like every single drag show is a way that perverts can seduce people into a queer lifestyle. It's like a form of sexual abuse. And first, I should make it clear very, very few drag shows involve nudity. Mm-hmm. Like this argument that drag is like inherently yes. like people with their dicks out and, you know, genitalia flopping everywhere is like wrong. There's I just sexual wanted... innuendos, of course. Yeah, yeah, like they can be referenced. Only reason I brought up that last point was because I wanted to make it clear. Even if there was this, I don't inherently think that that's, set, that's like child abuse. If you can accept that parents can make decisions for their kids, you should be able to accept that parents can like decide when their kids are exposed to those explicit themes. Yeah. Um, simultaneously, people are interested in drag because they like the artistic nature of drag. So Slate had an article in January of 2017. They say that drag's biggest audience is probably going to be young women soon. So initially <laughs> it was gay men, but a new wave of young women is challenging conventional wisdom as some of the largest consumers. So Katie, a 20-year-old fan from Long Island, seemed baffled by her own enthusiasm. I try to get many friends to watch Drag Race with me and they just don't get it. I start to feel down, but I'm just weird. One of the explanations that's given is that like drag is a really good way people can express themselves. Mm-hmm. Like women are very much interested in fashion and self-expression yeah, an through form. fashion. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like drag is fascinating because it's a way that you can like construct your own clothing and mm-hmm. construct your own identity and have like implicit themes and like questions about sexuality and race and yeah. gender all tied up into it. And, and, and so <laughs> when people are like, well, parents bring their kids to drag shows to seduce them no it's like bringing your kid to the art museum yeah it's like bringing your kid to a concert like you may not understand the appeal but it's just another way like people are expressing themselves through an artistic medium and by bringing your kid to a drag show you're just letting them like consume the the art form that they want to consume yeah you know what else is like a weird depiction of people that parents seem totally fine with clowns (laughs) Clowns are gender non-conforming. Clowns dress up in exaggerated makeup and do crazy stunts and 
weird things and you're not like clowns are trying to seduce my kids yeah clowns are a little little weird but i think they're weird because like our culture has made so many movies where clowns are villains we need more movies where clowns are well i'm talking about like the funny violence where they like hit people over the head with like a hammer like why do we accept that and not that's what i'm asking (laughs) not clown penises entering vaginas yeah yeah so drag can be purely an artistic thing it's an opportunity to go get drunk over some mimosas and um, to to enjoy self-expression. If you've ever gone to a fashion show, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, the last thing that I find um, particularly amusing about all of this is the person who posted the whole grooming thing that started this conversation was a gentleman named James Lindsay. James Lindsay is notable for being a right-wing activist who was kicked off of Twitter and then allowed back on Twitter when Elon Musk took over. Okay. Whenever James Lindsay posts... Multiple people in the comments will post a screenshot of Nikki Klein and a photo of him. If you're on, fall in the document on page 18, I scroll am. down to the bottom, yes. you can see it. Nikki Klein posted this, I think, in 2021, a poster of her, a picture of herself and James Lindsay uh, manspreading, mm-hmm. both stretching their legs out as far as they could to take up space, with the caption, I taught him everything he knows. Nikki Klein was a member of the NX IVM sex cult whose leader is currently in prison for child sex trafficking. Yo. So James Lindsay wants to talk about grooming while also simultaneously rubbing shoulders with people who like not accused criminals, convicted criminals. (laughs) There's one last thing I'd like to wrap up the episode on. And then part two, we'll get into some of like the, the ramifications and then a few little bits of positivity and interspliced in here. So the word groomer, I'm sure you've heard before I brought it up in this episode. Yes. And it's become very prominent. It's not just being applied to trans people. It's being applied to people who take their kids to places trans people are. Yes. It's being applied to teachers who teach kids that gay people exist. Oh my it's, God, they it's do? It's spreading very, very quickly. And the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, which tries to track like how right-wing media influence affects culture, did a really interesting write-up in January, or I guess January 16th of this year, talking about the groomer slur. So Aofi Gallagher and Tim Squirrel, Tim Squirrel, wrote (laughs) about the groomer slur. And they give a really fascinating history that should provide some context for people who think there's any sense of legitimacy to it. Uh, Spoiler alert, there's not. Around the world today, the use of the term groomer is used to justify hate, discrimination, and violence against the queer community. In the United States, particularly, the use of this language, along with conspiratorial thinking around queer people, has led to legislation preventing the discussion of queer issues in schools, preventing trans children from accessing gender-affirming health care, as motivated attacks on queer individuals. They're saying LGBTQ+, I'm saying queer because that's easier. Okay. Attempts to claim that members of the queer community pose a danger to children are nothing new, and such narratives have resurfaced in different geographies for decades. Despite victories from LGBT rights in countries around the world in recent years, this narrative has once again surfaced in groomer rhetoric exposed by some of the most prominent media politicians and influential figures. Grooming in a predatory context is defined by the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network as manipulative behaviors the abuser uses to gain access to potential victim, coerce them to agree to the abuse, and reduce the risk of being caught. According to Cormac McGowan, senior editor of the Collins English Dictionary, speaking to the BBC in 2008, the term became popular with the rise of the internet and the use of chat rooms by pedophiles to find victims. Around the world today, the use of the term groomer is used to justify hate, discrimination, and violence against the queer community. In the United States, particularly, use of this language, along with conspiratorial thinking around queer people, has led to legislation preventing the discussion of queer issues in schools and preventing trans children from accessing gender-affirming health care and has motivated attacks on them. 
So Naomi, you would not believe this, but queer individuals have been framed as pedophiles in the past. In the United States, the first mainstream attempts to claim that queer people were a danger to children came in 1977 through singer Anita Bryant and her organization Save Our Children. The Stonewall Riots in 1969 had kickstarted the gay rights movement, and as societal attitudes towards the queer community changed, a revolutionary backlash brewed. Bryant's organization, rooted in evangelical Christian beliefs, was formed in response to the passing of a law in Dade County, Florida, outlawing discrimination against a person based off their sexual orientation when it came to accessing housing, employment, or public services. Save Our Children successfully campaigned to repeal this law, centering its argument on the threat gay people posed to children if they were allowed to become teachers. Adverts and messaging during the campaign probed the idea that gay people preyed on children and attempted to recruit them. They specifically attempted to make homosexuality synonymous with pedophilia. Bryant's campaign went national and helped to defeat anti-discrimination ordinances across the United States and is thought to have contributed to the rise of the Christian right as a political force in the country. In the United Kingdom, 1988 saw the introduction of Section 28, which prohibited the promotion of homosexuality by local authorities, effectively banning the discussion of queer issues in schools. The Conservative Party engaged in a campaign claiming that young children are being exposed to texts that promoted queer identities, echoing arguments that attempted to portray homosexuality as intrinsically both sexual and deviant. Supporters of the law made arguments about predatory homosexuals, attempting to link gay men in particular to pedophilia, and it was not repealed until 2003. Now, Naomi. Yes. In the 2000s, when revelations of widespread child abuse committed by the clergy and the Catholic Church became public knowledge, attempts were once again made to forge links between homosexuality and pedophilia. The investigations into the abuse found the majority of victims were male. Therefore, efforts were made to blame homosexual priests for the abuse. In fact, many of the abusive priests were found to be situational generalists, who chose their victims based upon who they had access to. Research has, of course, consistently found no link between homosexuality and child sexual abuse. Basically, yeah, they may have been abusing boys, but that was just because they had, like, access to alter boys. If they had access to alter girls, they would have done the same thing. But since the Catholic Church is like, we need to gender segment all of our activities, yeah. the likelihood that they had access to women were far lower. Okay. Uh, yeah, they were just pieces of shit. It, yeah. they, they were not um, particularly inclined pieces of shit. During a fight for civil rights for queer people, some groups sought to co-opt this struggle to pursue an agenda of legalizing or increasing societal tolerance for pedophilia. The most notorious of this is perhaps the North American Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA, which was on the peripheries of the queer movement until the early 1990s, was publicly disowned and excommunicated after existence became more well-known. The tenuous links between pro-pedophile groups and historic queer liberation movements have been exploited by anti-queer activists, the further argument that queer people are attempting to groom children or inherently dangerous or deviant. So here's the problem. The online world used all of this past stuff to escalate claims linking queer people to pedophilia. The notorious anonymous image board 4chan, a website that's acted as a breeding ground for extremist movements, harassment campaigns, and conspiracy theories, began instigating and uh, trolling and smear campaigns against queer activists, organizations, and the wider community. From mid-2016, threads appeared on 4chan that claimed that a pedophile was added, sorry, that a P was added to the LGBTQ plus acronym to represent pedosexuals, with users encouraged to try to convince people that the queer community was trying to promote equal rights for pedophiles. These campaigns had some minor success when they were picked up by users on more mainstream platforms like Facebook and Twitter. A similar hoax was investigated, uh, sorry, instigated on 4chan in 2017, which aimed to promote a fake sexual identity known as clover gender. Intended as a way to mock non-binary and trans identities, clover genders identified as a child trapped in a man's body who's attracted to other children. Again, that hoax received mainstream attention and was tweeted by a number of well-known people, including Pharma Bro and now convicted fraudster Martin Tricelli. Always a person who you can turn to for good Tricelli. advice. 
One of the most successful hoaxes that attempted to link the queer community to pedophilia came in 2018. This one latched onto a tiny grain of truth, the fact that a small number of pedophiles and psychologists who study child sexual abuse referred to pedophiles instead as minor attracted persons or MAPs. The hoax claimed that MAPs had created their own pride flag as a way to promote their acceptance and inclusion within the queer community, but a fact-checking site Snopes found that the flag originated from a post on Tumblr that was almost certainly a 4chan-style hoax. Its success was almost immediate when a UK-based queer website, Gay Star News, unwittingly reported on it as a group of pedophiles files attempting part of the queer community. From there, the hoax was picked up by the right-wing news site The Daily Caller and made its way around the right-wing news circuit, gaining hundreds of thousands of interactions online. So offline, the far-right activists continued anti-queer campaigns, in particular targeting drag queen story hours from 2017 onwards. These events, often hosted in libraries and bookshops, consist of drag queens reading books to children with stories often incorporating child-friendly explanations of gender and family diversity. White nationalists misrepresenting what was happening at these events and seeing them as signs of degeneracy began organizing in-person protests against them. Um, this also coincided with other stuff like uh, Pizzagate, and QAnon, <laughs> Pizzagate. Pizzagate, which claimed that Hillary Clinton members for a campaign were involved in a child trafficking ring out of Washington, D.C. pizzeria because they kept making references to pizza in internal emails when, in fact, they just, just wanted long hours pizza. and were like, hey, I'd like three cheese pizzas today because, like, I've got 50 people here working on this whatever. Yeah. Um, it also didn't help that QAnon talks a lot about Satan and pedophilia and people drinking blood in order to live longer. Um, this all, like, has roots in arguments against Jewish people doing the exact same thing back in the 1930s. It's just been rebranded for the new millennium. Hot. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, the groomer slur um, began to be used in June 2019. So in June 2019, the anti-trans lobby group Transgender Trend described a service providing free chest binders to trans boys as predators who were trying to groom young girls. The service was recommended in guidelines from the UK's National Health Service, meaning those easily framed as the UK government endorsing such activity. So the NHS, acting upon evidence that if you affirm the identities of trans people, they're less likely to commit suicide, um, started offering chest binders, and they're like, these people are trying to have sex with young boys. Good stuff. Really making a difference in the world. Joel's uh, just pissing himself off as he's going. Some 4chan boards soon joined the effort, encouraging users to apply OK Groomer in conversations about queer issues on Twitter. This was, of course, I guess, I don't know if this was before or after the OK Boomer comment that was common. I'm assuming that it's OK Boomer. Yeah. Before, With conservative influencer Jack Posobiec taking this forward from January 2021. Uh, and from early 2022, the term's use reached a crescendo following the passing of an anti-queer education bill in Florida. This came during a record-breaking few years for anti-queer legislation, much of it targeting trans youths. Um, so other people talk about like the importance of don't gay, say gay bill because of, it's tempting to prevent grooming in the classroom. Um, and then this article goes into the detail of the effect on different places. Um, it's, you know, led to a lot of closing of drag queen story times. It's also affected Florida education significantly following the passage of the parental rights and education bill. So many teachers were told to remove photos of same sex spouses from the classrooms, refrain from wearing rainbow colors, remove stickers signifying safe spaces, and many queer theme books removed from school libraries. So, um, I read all that because I wanted to demonstrate that this has basis in nothing besides right-wing trolling. The better efforts to keep people alive, happy, and healthy have been misconstrued purposely by the right to claim that anyone who cares about these issues is actually a pedophile. 
And if you believe that, please dig into the political affiliations of the people who are supporting this, because you might find they have a lot of reprehensible beliefs beyond the fact that they don't like trans people. With that, Naomi, we're at page 18. We're halfway through this document, and I think it is time for us to wrap up for the day. I hope everyone has a great week and doesn't take this um, self-care after this episode. Do some self-care after this episode. Um, Eat some sweet potato shakshuka. Yeah, I'm not, like always, I'm not trying to say this because I want to bum people out. I want to raise awareness of minority groups that are under attack, and I think it's important to be conscious of the fact that regardless of whether or not you want to hear it, this stuff is happening, and it's probably only going to get worse. Uh, part two will be much happier because we're going to wrap up with um, God, some of the good so. stuff that's that's happening in the world today and some of the things people can do to like make a difference. Yeah, go 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 take a shower, watch some some I don't know Parks and Rec, a few, few shots funny. of gin with uh, squeeze of lime and some club soda will do you right. You're telling people to drink. Who are you? Pissed off. That's fair. Have a great week. Self-care. Wear a condom. Uh, Be great.